morning. I'm Rick Murray, and it is my privilege to be one of the pastors here. Um, I am actually a retired Presbyterian minister. I think Sam's reminded you of, of that several times. Shouldn't, shouldn't be too scary. Comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder, which also fits me, by the way. Um, which means the elders of the church, whether they're teaching elders or elder elders, are the ones that, uh, well, in Jesus' name, help run the church. Now you all know something new, right? No? Now you're going, what the heck's he talking about? Well, we are talking about prayer. Uh, we typically do series based on books of the Bible. And as you've heard a number of times, we're coming close to doing one of the largest books in the Bible. Uh, it comes very early in the text, that's all I'm saying. And it's going to take us ten and a half years to get through it. But we'll, we'll go for it, because in my ministry, I also preach through books of the Bible. It's one of the things that made Sam and I fast friends before I retired, because uh, a lot of churches do topical all the time, but then you don't get a taste of what all of Scripture is, that the Bible is, in fact, 66 different books, all inspired by God, all about Jesus. The Bible, every book of the Bible, tells a story about Jesus and what God is doing in and through Jesus Christ in all kinds of unique ways in all kinds of different genres. And that is the most amazing, wonderful thing. Do I hear an amen on that? Yeah. Oh, I love it. If you don't have a Bible, because we are going to read a text today and maybe a part of another text, um, raise your hand. We'll give you a Bible that you can use when I get to the scriptures in a moment. And if it's, you don't have a Bible at home, please take it home. But if you do have a Bible and just forgot it, uh, raise your hand. Anybody out there who needs a Bible? Wow. Did you all bring your Bibles? Can you hold up your... No, just kidding. <laughs> We've been focusing, as you can see, on prayer. And I love that introduction, by the way. It's like 1929. It's a radio dude. But what he's saying is awesome. Prayer's not a position Prayer is not a way we man manipulate God. Often prayer is desperate, and God comes so near to us when it's desperate, even though we may not sense it. There's always more going on than meets the eye. Always. We are so near to God, but we just miss it half the time. And Jesus is the one who builds that bridge to God. Without him, we don't get near to God. So prayer is awesome. And I love the way we've been talking about it. Sam's talked about the fact that prayer is a vehicle that brings us into the presence of Jesus, and that every prayer, legitimate prayer, is answered yes in and through Jesus. And what that means is, uh, yes, Jesus is with us. Yes, he's going to go through whatever we're going through. He's going to make it possible for us to be healed at times. Yes is the answer. But here's where we often get confused. We think prayer is just petition. And I think it was uh, Tyler who told us at one of the sermon meetings and I, I loved it, because I often think of prayer as petition. It's, you know, prayer is my to-do list for God to get something done, right? But that's what we do, almost naturally. But it's not. Petition is sometimes answered yes, sometimes wait, sometimes maybe. But Jesus is with us when we're petitioning. And prayer is about being with Jesus. That's it. I want to go a little bit deeper with that about uh, what we do with that when we kind of go to this petition vehicle. Here's why I think we, we do it. There's two reasons. One is that we're stuck in transitions. I don't know about you, but as I grew up, I always looked forward to when I would arrive. <laughs> you know, the next thing. 
you graduate, you get married, you have your children. When do we arrive? Guess what? We arrive in the next life, in the new heaven and new earth. We never fully arrive. We are always in some kind of transition, whether or not we sense it. And the transitions bother the, pardon the expression, they bother the hell out of us. They do. Sometimes we're excited about it, but it always, in some sense, defines where we are. And so we go, we gravitate to petition. The other reason why we go to petition is this thing called control. And we want control because we want to be champions. Now, some of you won't admit this, but the reality is we all not only want to be the lead in our own story, as Sam has said a number of times, we want to be the champion of the world in our chosen field. That's what America's about at times. You work hard to be the best you can be at what you do. I wanted to play football in college, managed to do it, barely. And I loved football because, I don't know, it just kept me going. But I frankly wasn't all that good at it. But in college, I think I matured late. I found out I was the starting tight end for Citrus Community College. And I got injured the next day. And it took a year to recover. But you know what I did during that year? I explored Christianity for the first time. I'll be grateful to the day I die for that injury. My prayer was answered in a different way. And I was praying because I wasn't even sure God existed. But somebody, I want to be a starting tight end. Guess what? I never was a starting tight end. I did play a lot, though, because I want to be a champion. This is just true about sports. You don't want to be second or third chair if you're a musician. We all want to be champions. We all want control. It, it is, in my view, the original sin. Because our to-do list reminds us that we're in charge. So prayer is about being in the presence of Jesus. And at times, we got to ask for some things. But we don't want to ask all wrong. Jesus sets the example for us. We've talked about it. It's in the garden. His friends are asleep. His friends are asleep. And he asks God, Lord... Please take this cup of suffering, this cross, away from me. And how does he end that prayer? But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that's got to be what we do with our petitions. Lord, whatever your will is, I want that to happen. And I hope this is your will. It's that simple. But we get trapped, again, by the transitions by the fact we want to be champions and in control. And here's where I think we find our hope. The writer of Hebrews in the 11th chapter talks about heroes of the faith. There's Moses, there's Abraham. It goes way back to, there's Jacob. Even Jacob, whose name means deceiver, is a hero of the faith. To be a hero of the faith doesn't, again, mean you're perfect, just like we talked about when people were baptism. Baptized. There's one who is perfect. It's not us, right? Who is perfect, by the way? And this is all about? Very good. As you know, we did write it on the wall. It is all about Jesus. Hebrews tells us about that. And he tells us, I think, in this unique way, about the connection between faith and prayer. And here's where we get into kind of dangerous ground. Because some people think if we have enough faith, 
God will do whatever we want. And we will be champions and rich and famous. It's called the prosperity gospel, and it is not a gospel. Faith is the belief that we do believe we're in the presence of Jesus, whatever else happens, and that Jesus is our champion, not us. And the writer of Hebrews, I think, helps us to live that out because he, he states all these heroes of the faith. The topic sentence of that chapter, by the way, is faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not say. <laughs> There's more going on than meets the eye. Be certain about that. Jesus is in this room in the power of the Spirit. Be certain about that. And then, as you pray, you, you make your request, of course. But, according to his will. Well, here's what helps us. And I love this passage. It's uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. You can turn to it. I'll be reciting a different translation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with, and run with perseverance the race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I would just add, in your prayer. And our prayers help us live into this passage. Would you join me in a word of prayer? I haven't really even started preaching yet. <laughs> Sam's been my example, so we could be here for a while. <laughs> Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, I, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for this passage in, his, in Hebrews that has meant so much to me in my own personal life. But Lord, I know you want to teach us something today. So would you use me as your servant as together we consider uh, what it means to be praying in the context of this race wherein we ask it in Jesus name amen i love a couple of things about this text one it sets the race set before us and believe it or not as i stand before you offensive lineman rate in the in the nfl but not nearly as athletic i used to be an avid runner started in 1976 and ran faithfully uh, sometimes 40 to 60 miles a week until 1984. Then I ran my one and only marathon, which I'm convinced is an IQ test. <laughs> you run one and you're done, you pass the IQ test. You become addicted to marathons and all kinds of amazing things happen. And some of your marathons go, I'm going to get you, dude. Now, I'm just saying, I really enjoyed it. And it was really great for me as I went through seminary early in my marriage, working at my first church as an ordained pastor. I loved it. I even coached cross country. I wanted to coach football, and I did eventually, but I got to coach cross country. And you're going, wow. Well, it was about 130 pounds ago. <laughs> and we won't go into about that. That's one of my petitions to the Lord about. <laughs> Anyways, we're in a race. Hebrews 12 teaches us that. And we have a fan club. Did you catch that? Surrounded by this great cloud 
of witnesses cheering us on. You can picture old Abraham going, yeah, go get it. Moses, hey, the water's parted. God can do some things for you. They're cheering us on. Some denominations call that the communion of saints. It's a mystery to me. I don't know what exactly is going on, but you need to know people are cheering for you. There's more going on than meets the eye. And you know who is really cheering for you? Jesus. See, so many of us fall into this trap. We become followers of Jesus, and then we set about kind of doing our to-do list to become better people, which is nothing wrong with that until that becomes your, your religion. And your to-do list includes kind of doing things a certain way, and if they don't do it your way, then it's, or I mean God's way. <laughs> you follow? The writer of Hebrews says, no, you do that, by, by the way, because you think God is rooting against you. <laughs> I don't know why people think this, but deeply religious people, deep down, seem to think, you know, God's, he's distant. I realize Jesus bridged the gap, but he expects some things of me. And yeah, he does. But he wants to be with you in your striving. And he's rooting for you. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. So that we can grow up into the faith. Whether or we not, we become perfect. And as you've been told, and I totally agree, we're not ever going to be perfect this side of our destiny in the new heaven and new earth. There's more going on than meets the eye. Jesus roots for us. And our text tells us something very important, I believe, about prayer. And prayer helps us to do what this text is asking us to do. The first thing is this. Prayer helps us to let go. Did you catch that in the text? Let go of every weight and sin which clings so closely. Sin's like that. I mentioned football, not because I want to brag about football, but I remember the first day of pads and the coaches basically being um, mean people <laughs> told us we had to run a mile in our pads. Oh, a mile in pads? Ugh. I don't want to go into it, except to say that's what sin does. It weighs us down. It, and whether that's us doing crud or people doing crud to us, it weighs us down. And prayer helps us to let it go. And it's not, just, it's not easy to let it go. Of course not. But prayer can help us to do that. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wishes for us. As we're surrounded by these people rooting for us, you've got to just let go of some things. And I just wonder what some things are for you. What do you have to let go of? I probably should let go of my next jelly donut. <laughs> but there's probably more than that, too. And I guarantee you in my life there's much more than that. But what is it for you? Perhaps a day as we're gathered in worship, you're struggling with alcohol or drugs. Perhaps today, you're struggling with working way too much. By the way, that was my addiction in the 80s as a new pastor. And I had the audacity to tell my wife when she began to complain, I'm doing this for the Lord. She stayed with me, praise the God. But that's just a lie. When you're addicted to work, that's a sickness. And addiction, can, it can be anything 
It really can. What is it for you? What do you have to let go of? You, we need help. We always need help. Second thing this, prayer te- this uh, text tells us is that prayer continues to help us to look to Jesus. We always say it's all about Jesus. We're here to constantly look to him. And he, my friends, is our true champion. Now, I mentioned in the life we live in and all the transitions and, and all the wanting to be champion, Jesus is our champion. We look to him. I met a man named Elias Chakur one time in Israel. He's a Palestinian Christian, a priest. In fact, he's a bishop in one of the towns in, in the Nazareth area. And he, he's a peacemaker. Came really close to winning the Nobel Peace Prize. And you, you can guess what he's bringing peace to. He's the first Palestinian to graduate from Hebrew University. And they love him in Israel. Even many Israelis, by the way, are agnostic at best. But they love Elias Chakur because he's living out the faith. And guess what he calls Jesus every time he prays. And he's been calling Jesus this since he was six years old. My champion. My champion. If Jesus is our champion and he's rooting for us, my friends, we're in a great place. No matter how difficult life may be for us. It is all about Jesus, and he is our champion. Now, those of us that still want to be champions, I want to give you this word. You can be a champion, but it's a champion in the medieval sense of the word. The champion was the person for the king who fought for the king, who protected the kingdom. And our prayer life, and we've talked about this in here, is really like going to war. But we don't use flesh and blood instruments. We use prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read about the whole armor of God. It's chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. I'm not going to dwell on the whole chapter, but I want to tell you how it is summed up. He talks about put on the whole armor of God, right? And I've heard a lot of sermon series of the armor of God. I bet you have too, right? We have the breast of, breastplate of what? Righteousness, right? We have the shoes of peace. We have, I think, most importantly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you can kind of do a sermon series on all of those parts of the suit of armor, and it, I guess it sort of works. But here's what holds all the armor together. It says, Put on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. This is Paul writing. That words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul's in prison when he writes Ephesians. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray at all times in the Spirit. We are to let go. And yes, we are to look to Jesus and run that race. But ultimately, we've got to learn how to live into Jesus. And we do that by consistent prayer all day long. And you can do it really easily. Just include Jesus in whatever you're doing. 
You don't have to do it publicly. You can whisper it. You can think it. But he is absolutely with you all day long. And what do you pray for? When you go do go to pray, what did Paul suggest? Pray for those who are preaching the gospel. Pray for your church. Pray for your community. For the glory of God and the good of the valley. Pray consistently and often in the spirit. Not a to-do list. But pray for healing and hope for people you know. And for you. For your family. Engage in prayer at all times in the Spirit. And what that does, it helps us to do verse 3 of Hebrews. To consider him who went before us. Not just look to Jesus and what a great example he is, but to consider him. And that word's important in the New Testament. It means not just to ponder Jesus, but biblically speaking, it means to live with someone. Or literally to live into someone. See, what Jesus does for us is absolutely astounding. He's not just our goal. He's our companion on this journey in the power of the Spirit. I mentioned my running. I did that not to brag, but to tell you about the first time I ever ran in a race. Here's how it happened. My best friend in high school, who the only athletic thing he did was play golf, and he was pretty good at it, but he used to joke about all the dumb football players and all the crazy baseball players, and I just won't go into detail because it made us mad. But he wasn't very athletic, but he started running. And he was training, and I started running with him. And he started running because he married a woman whose older brother was a man named Vince Engel, who happened to be on the United States cross-country team. Now, this is where I reveal my arrogance. I had been training with my friend, and we entered a 10K race. And I got up to the starting line. It's about 200 people. But I got up front, and I noticed Vince over there. And I looked at him. I said, I'm going to run with him. Okay, you're thinking, what an idiot. Well, you're right. (laughs) I got about 200 yards running with him. And then I was, (laughs) well, I was hurting. Now, when I had been introduced to Vince earlier that day, I'd met his wife, and they called her sub because she was short, he was tall, and she was running in the race as well. But I'd forgotten all about that. And near the end of the race, Vince, who it turns out had finished first, was running back. And frankly, I was kind of pissed. So what a bragger. What is he doing? It's showing off, and he didn't even look like he broke a sweat. So, you know, I'm, I collapsed. I literally upchucked in front of my new wife. I don't go into detail about that. And I laid down on the grass, and then I saw it. Vince, running with Sub, finishing her race. And that's when the Lord got me. That's what I do for you. Not only am I your goal, I am your companion every step of the way. And my friends, as we, as we delve into prayer, authentic prayer, let us be reminded the answer is always yes. Jesus is indeed with us no matter how hard it is. He's bringing healing and hope. It may not look like we want it to look, but it will be with us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Great and majestic God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, the reminder for all of us that you are indeed with us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these baptisms. What a joy to be in worship today. And I ask your blessing on your people 
here in this church and the churches in the valley that we all would live into the kind of prayer that is described in the opener, the prayer that comes to grips with who we truly are and who you truly are, but honors your presence and honors your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.